So hey, just a show of hands, how many of you on, on, in some way, shape, or form got stuck in the blizzard last week? No, nobody wants to admit they got stuck. I got stuck. Yeah, any which way, any, any stuckness. But you guys, you guys just have it all down. You guys know what you're doing here. Well, this was the first time in substance history that we got to, uh, that we had to cancel a service uh, in over in five and a half years. So, um, God, you know, God really dealt with my pride in that. Um, but there, there was so, so a, a little bit of a story about that uh, as related to where we're going this morning. But, um, you know, so last Saturday, you know, it's, it's just snowing and it's starting to stack up. And, and me and Melissa, you know, we get the bright idea that we're going to bundle up and put on 19 layers and we're going to go take a walk, right? And, um, oh, it'll be beautiful. It'll be crazy, you know? And we, so we get out into the snow and it literally, fe- I mean, it was already about that deep and we're, we're just slogging through and it felt like a walk, you know, in like that deep sand, you know, when you're walking through the dunes by a beach and we get about a mile in and we're just like literally out of breath and we're like, this was the worst idea that anybody's ever had. And we walked another two miles. And so we, we get home and I mean, we're just drenched and it's crazy. And it was like, that was like the most significant workout I've had for as long as I can remember. But we're feeling all kind of good about ourselves and kind of prideful because, hey, we were out in the snow. And uh, so what happens is, you know, we, we take off all of our clothes, we get into our PJs, it's late at night, and we look out and there's a guy that's, you know, stranded on my street right in front of my house, right? And my wife looks at me and she goes, I mean, you're like, you're gonna go help that guy, right? And I'm like, I know, I'm gonna go help him, you know? So I go and I put on all my, you know, all my drenched clothes and I get out there and I'm shoving him down the street, you know? And so we did all that. And then uh, the next morning, uh, we, we, we woke up, you know, and church services are canceled, and, you know, the snow's stacked all high, and everything looks beautiful, but we thought, you know, we'll get out there with our shovels, and we'll, you know, we'll clear a couple of paths. You know, we're not going to get, like, crazy here or anything, but we decided to clear a couple of paths, so we, you know, we put on all those drenched clothes that are still drenched from the night before, and we clear out a little path, and I'm like, that's good. You know, we created a little, like, little space, you know, a little Candyland game, you know, and, around, the, around the, uh, the house, and it looked good. We could walk through it. And so we get back in, take off all the clothes, get back into our sweatpants, more comfortable. And then what happens is my neighbor, uh, who is, uh, you know, she's a woman with two kids, husband's out of town. She drags her electric, you know, snowplower like down the driveway, tripping and falling and slipping. And my wife goes, you're not just going to make her like plow the driveway by herself, are you? I'm like, no, I'm not. You know, so I go back, put on the clothes. Get out there, grab the snowblower, man, and it was crazy. I don't know, I've never worked with an electric snowplow, but those things don't work real, real great. You know, you know, and I felt, so man, I'm out there, right, and I'm, I'm looking, and then, you know, you got Melissa standing in the, the window with her coffee, you know, <laughs> with this look of pride, like, oh man, like, I, I, you know, I married a real man, you know, as I'm, as I'm plowing, and I was looking at her just going, hey, whatever, you know, you know, that whole thing. Um, but anyway, it's a ridiculous story because at the end of it, what I eventually did after two hours of plowing was I called, uh, I, I called our boy Ryan and he came in with like the proper plow, you know, on, you know, on the front of his truck and like did the whole job in like 21 seconds or whatever he did. But what really, what, what, I, what I wanted to reflect on about that was just, um, oh my gosh, man, how easily we get wiped out. I mean, we, we have these white frozen particles just come down from the sky on us and everyone all of a sudden becomes helpless. Everybody becomes needy. Everybody becomes 
dependent. We just can't like even find our way. We need each other to help one another. You know, the whole time leading up to the storm, you know, I got my wife like on the weather app the whole time saying, well, it says it's gonna be four inches. Oh, now it says it's gonna be 24 inches. You know, as if we have any control of that as we're like, we continue to click on the weather app. But we kind of think that And what we're kind of trying to do in those moments is we're always trying to assume some kind of control over something that clearly we have no control over. And I think when things happen, like, you know, the blizzard of 2019 last weekend, is that we really don't have any control. And then at the end of the day, what happens, even if something is small as snow, you guys know what I mean when I say that, um, man, we, we, we need help. We are dependent on other people. We need other people to come in and help us. And that's a little bit about the direction of of where we're going to be taking ourselves this morning as we go through part three of the Lord's Prayer, which is give us this day our daily bread. And here's something we know about prayer, just as we sort of look over the entirety of the Lord's Prayer, is that prayer is how God makes us more like Jesus, So what Jesus is doing in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, if you haven't gone there, go to Matthew 6. He's giving us a model for how to pray. So again, we can pray this prayer, but really what this is, is Jesus giving us a model for how to pray. And again, and the reason for it, specifically for the passage that we're going through today, which is verse 11, is not so we get what we want, but so that we begin to want what God wants. And that's kind of the big idea behind this prayer. And what's so interesting about this prayer, if you've been following along over the last few weeks, is just how short it is. I mean, can you imagine going to Jesus and saying like, hey, when you get a minute, you know, could you teach us how to pray? And then like when he finishes 11 seconds later, you probably would have been like, well, hold on, like, that, like that's it? Like just, just like these four verses? That's how, that's the instruction that you've given us to pray. But what this does is, is it tells us something about God's desire for us in how to pray, who to pray to, and what to pray for. One of the things it shows us is that we don't need to be wordy. Jesus isn't calling us to be wordy. He's not calling us to be eloquent when we go before him. He's not calling us to be smart. He's not calling us to become theologians. He use all these grandiose and pretentious words when we pray. There's this profound simplicity and economy to the model that Jesus gives us here for how to pray. And in fact, if you go back to the very beginning uh, in, verse, um, in verse nine, when he says, pray like this, what does he do? He says he wants us to go before God like children who are praying to a father in humble dependence. And not only that, not only remembering who we're praying to, but what we need to pray for before everything else, which is for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done. He wants us to do that before we pray for all of the other needs in our life. And the reason for that is because he wants the needs that we have in our life to come on the backdrop of praying for what's really important, which is his will before our will. And in that, he begins to shape our hearts, he begins to reform our desires for wanting the things that he wants. Paul Miller uh, makes this quote. He said, learned desperation is at the heart of a praying life. This really kind of just speaks to the verse that we're looking at today, verse 11. He says, learned desperation is the heart of a praying life. So as we learn to come before God as our Father, and we pray for his will to be accomplished above all other things, it humbles our hearts 
as we come to him with our greatest physical and spiritual needs. So what I want to do right now is I want to take a second here and I want us just to read through the Lord's Prayer together. And we're going to pick up in verse 9 when Jesus says, pray then like this. And let's read through verse 13 together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Sorry for all you guys that have different versions, you don't know whether to keep speaking. We all, it all was great. It all somehow synced together. So Jesus, specifically here in verse 11, is calling us to pray for our basic needs. But what we, what, we start to, what we start to understand as we unpack that a little bit is that they're not really that basic. Our needs in one hand are basic, but they're not really that basic because without them, without having our basic needs um, given to us in terms of food and clothing, um, we die. We die physically. We can't survive without our basic needs being met. And then if you go up another level with that, we're going to die without our spiritual needs being met. And the big idea behind that is that we're needy. We're needy people. And worse than that, we don't like being needy. Which, by the way, makes it even more curious as to why Jesus tells us to pray like this. And he begins with the words, give. What does he say? He says, give us. So what we understand right from the beginning of verse 11 is that we are given. God is our giver. That's who we're appealing to is God as giver. What's the most famous verse in the world? And if you don't know any other verse, you know this verse because, you know, you watch a football game. Well, it's John 3, 16. It says, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He gave his only son. My pops used to say this. He used to say, Ronnie, there's givers and there's takers in the world. Which one will you be? He used to say that to me, and every time he said that, I was like, I actually want to be a taker, Pops. It like sounds way better for me if I'm just being honest. But because of that, what happens is, is that we sometimes think of God as only a taker, right? He's just kind of the guy that's kind of looking around. He wants to make the good times the bad times through. He feels like, man, you have a little bit too much blessing and joy in your life. I just want to remove that, right? So we begin to think of God as being just a taker only instead of what Jesus is telling us to do here, which is to pray, give us, give us this day. In the Old Testament book of Job, we're reminded that God is responsible for both giving and taking away. God does take away. He does sometimes take away. But Jesus here is calling us to come before God with a posture of more like a child, a child who's needy and dependent and who knows that he or she can't provide really anything for himself. So we're reminded that God is responsible for both giving and taking, but he wants us to come with the posture of a child to ask us to give us what we need. And by the way, whenever he withholds something, whenever he takes something away from you, it's another way that he is reminding you of what your true need actually is and whether that you trust that he's actually telling you the truth when he says, hey, pray to me, give us this day. And by the way, I'm going to supply your needs, but I'm also going to withhold some things from you for specific reasons that maybe even in the moment you won't be able to comprehend. 
Matthew 7, let's move up to Matthew 7, verses 9 through 11. It says this. Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Let's start at verse 7 instead. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So when we pray like this, we're appealing to a loving father. And there's almost like an absurd logic here that Jesus is getting at, right? He's saying, even someone as evil as you, like, what are you trying to say here, Jesus? That's your evil. So he's saying, even someone as evil as you knows how to give your child a piece of bread when he asks for it, but you're not sure you can trust an infinitely good and loving heavenly father? Like, he's kind of throwing out a seriously, like, really? Now, we wouldn't say that, and we would affirm all of us, we sat down and had a little conversation, we would all affirm the fact that, no, no, we believe that God wants to give us what we need. He wants to give us good things. So we wouldn't say that, but we show that, don't we? And I think one of the ways that we show it is by not asking him for anything at all that we would put in the category of our most basic needs. So it's curious on one hand that Jesus comes and says, hey, pray, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't go beyond that. He said, you need to come before the Father and ask for your basic needs. There's some reasons why we don't ask for our basic needs. We're gonna get into that in a minute. The next thing he says is not only give us, but he says, give us what? This day. Give us this day. So Jesus calls us to pray for what we need today, not tomorrow. That doesn't mean it's a bad thing to pray for tomorrow, but this is actually written as a way to teach us something about what God wants to be doing in our hearts as we pray this to him. Now, this would have reminded the disciples and should be reminding us of the time of the Exodus with Moses when God provided the Israelites manna, this bread-like substance, every morning for them to eat. And what happened was God instructed them to collect what they needed just for the day. So this stuff's gonna be on the ground when you wake up. Grab exactly what you need for the day. And if they took more than that, interestingly enough, it would go rotten. The whole thing would go rotten. So we said, make sure that you take just enough for the day. Anything that's left over, you're gonna wake up the next morning, especially if it's something where you're gonna try to store it away. You're gonna try to make a little bit of extra so you don't have to cook anything the next day or that you're worried that maybe when you wake up, God will have withheld his manna? He said, no, that's not the way this is gonna work. Every day I'm gonna supply you with manna, so you take just what you need for that particular day. Anything that's left over is gonna rot in the morning. You're not going to be able to eat it. Why would he do that? Why did Jesus not say, you know what? I'll tell you what would be a little more economical is if you guys collected enough for like three days, and then on the third day, collect enough for like the next week and a half, and then you'll just be covered, and then we can like, you know, make a graph, and you guys can like know what you need to do and how much you need like for the month. But man, it'll save you guys a lot of time and a lot of energy. You can do some pre-planning. You can Ziploc the meals, throw those things in the fridge. Everything's, everything will be great. No, he didn't say that. He said, every morning, I want you to go out and just grab what you need, gather what you need. The point was that they didn't need to take more. 
Now, this is not talking about good stewardship, right? So, so don't let this like take you down a path that scripture isn't taking us down. This is not talking about being a good steward and you know, buying enough food to get you through the blizzard. No, Ronnie, I'm only bought for the day and I can't get to the store the next day. So what are you talking? You know, I mean, you know, let, let's, let's apply some logic and some wisdom to what Jesus is trying to say here because the point is what he's trying to form in our hearts. The point was that they didn't need to take more. Why? Well, because there would be more in the morning. And so this can be applied in our own lives in a bunch of different ways, right? Because anything we collect in our own lives so that we don't have to trust God will ultimately go rotten for us, especially if that is the thing that we are depending on to keep us going and to keep us sustained. So trusting God today is how we become people who will trust him tomorrow. And not only for tomorrow, but trust him tomorrow when we wake up, when we have to face the day with all of its burdens and all of its troubles. Now, again, let me just go back because I don't want this to be misunderstood. That doesn't mean we don't use wisdom and we don't live out godly stewardship. It means we do those things trusting that this is how God will provide for us. I mean, because at the end of the day, the Israelites still had to collect the food, right? They still had to go wake up, go out and collect the food. They showed stewardship for the day. The point was that they were trusting God for tomorrow by collecting only what was needed for the day. And I think what this does is it speaks to our tendency of thinking God can't be bothered with things as small as bread, right? <coughs> Excuse me. We kind of think that when we categorize our life, we tend to put God in a particular place where we're pretty certain that he really only cares about the things that are big to us. And we got those small things handled. Surely God doesn't care about my oatmeal. I mean, I don't care about my oatmeal. I'm not an oatmeal guy, right? That's another story. But surely God doesn't care about all of these tiny little things that I need to be sustained. But what this passage tells us is that is foolish and wrong thinking because the next part, excuse me, of verse 11 is give us this day what? Our daily bread. <clears throat> so what this tells us is that God cares about our oatmeal, right? Philippians 4.19, Paul reminds us, he said, and my God will meet all your needs according to what? According to your needs? Does God meet your needs according to your needs? Well, no, that would cause us to think then that we somehow can dictate to God what it is that we need. God doesn't just give us and meet all of our needs according to our needs. This is what he does it according to, and this is what gets crazy. He does it according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ, right? So a God that is ultimately for God and for his glory is someone that you can depend on and trust as a good father who is going to meet all of your needs because it's according to something bigger than your needs. So this gets you into the mind and the character and the kindness of God. A God who provides the essentials will also provide the elementals, right? Why? Well, because his glory is what's most fundamental in all of his actions. And if God's glory is most fundamental in all of his actions, you know God is always acting in the way that's gonna give him the most of it, and the most glory that God gives is the most good that we experience, right? 
Here's what's interesting. An atheist doesn't pray, usually. But an atheist doesn't pray because they believe they're responsible to provide their own resources. One of the questions that this brings up to us in terms of how we pray and who we pray to is are we just living like functional atheists, right? So let me go back to what I just said. If God's dependability is dependent on his glory, then he can always be counted on to give us the very thing that most glorifies him. So therefore, it brings us back to this place of knowing that not only should we go before him, not only do we need to go before him for our basic needs, but it's the safest thing that we can possibly do. And what do we know about God? Well, we know that he doesn't run low on resources or the ability to distribute those resources in both wisdom and kindness. So what things in your life are you essentially praying to and depending on to provide your needs? Who's the God that you go to to say, give me this day, give me this daily bread? Who is that for you? Jesus is telling us that God can be trusted to meet our needs. Why? Because he met our greatest need. And he did it with a kind of bread that we need much more than the one we make our sandwiches with. Right? Let's go to John chapter 6. That's two books, three books down, the Gospel of John. John chapter 6 to your right. Jesus had just finished feeding 5,000 people, 5,000 men, not counting women and children, bread, bread and fish. He just provided them. It was a miracle that he did. In John chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse 25. And this is what it says. They were searching for Jesus. So Jesus provided this spectacular meal, this spectacular miracle. And then he went away. He got away from the crowds and the crowds found him. And this is where we pick up in verse 25. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, they said, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, not because of the miracles, he's saying, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And then he says this in 27, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do then to be doing the works of God? And then Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they're going after him because they got a free meal and Jesus just quickly brings them back to the whole point of the power that came behind the meal that they ate and they got to enjoy. Jesus said, that's not the point, you guys. And then in verse 30, this is what he says to them. Then what sign, this is what he, they say to him, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Then give us another sign. Give us another meal, Jesus. What work do you for perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What are you going to do for me then, Jesus? What are you going to give to me? And then Jesus says to them in verse 32, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, 
Sir, give us this bread always. They're still thinking in terms of, man, we just want a sandwich right now. And then Jesus just puts it on its head in 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So there's something bigger and more glorious here that's at work when we go before the Lord saying, give me this day our daily bread. What we understand here about the Christian life in general, which is something that goes so counter to who we are, and it's this, it's that godliness is neediness. Godliness is neediness. He's saying to these crowds, don't worry, don't spend your life going after these things that you will eat and they will be gone, but go after a particular kind of bread that is eternal, that will nourish you spiritually. And by the way, that's me. That's what he's drawing them to. Because godliness is neediness. It's not merely saying, listen, yes, I know I'm needy. It's saying, Jesus, you are the yes for all my needs. That's what praying this prayer is really getting to the heart to. So here's my question for us. What would happen if you obeyed Jesus and you prayed to God for your every need? What if there was nothing in your life that you didn't ask God to provide? What would that say about you? More importantly, what would it say about your opinion about who God is in your life? Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him graciously give us all the other things we need? Do you get sort of the absurd logic that Paul is presenting us to that we desperately need to hear? If God was good enough to give us the greatest outpouring of his glory, which was his son, Jesus Christ, for the nourishment of our spiritual life so that we wouldn't bear the wrath of God, is he not good enough to give us the other things that we are worried about, that we are anxious about? Is he not good enough for that? Well, he is good enough for that. So here's how I want to close. I want us to consider the ways that praying, give us this day or daily bread, number one, it, it guards us, and number two, it, it grows us. And I'm going to get into the parts of how it guards us. This is what it guards us against, all right? Because what happens is, if we're not praying this prayer, if we're taking matters into our own hands, what happens is we establish something that's already sort of built into our hearts, which is an overfixation on tomorrow. All of us are battling with an overfixation on tomorrow. All of our anxiety and our worry, it stems and it's rooted from what we are afraid of is going to come upon us. There was a reason God gives us the grace we need for today. There was a reason why God gives us the grace that we need for today and we'll have another fresh supply of it for us tomorrow. 
There's a reason why he will give us what we need as we wake up in the morning. We say, God, I need your grace today. And he says, you have it. And why he will have another supply of it the next day. Why we have grace upon grace. Why his mercies are not just old mercies that he throws out some leftovers with to tide you over. But they are what? They're new every morning. And the reason for that is because we have an overfixation on tomorrow. And this is what happens with an overfixation on tomorrow. It spoils our faith for today and it replaces it instead with a fear for tomorrow. So that's what an overfixation on tomorrow does. It spoils the faith that God has given us today to go before him and pray this prayer and it replaces it with fear for tomorrow. Secondly, praying, give us this day our daily bread, it guards us against an unrecognition of the grace that God has given you today. Every time we don't recognize the grace that God has given us with what he has provided us for, what happens? Well, it's another layer that gets added to our hearts of ungratefulness. So we don't recognize, God, you've given me this grace. You've provided my needs. I wanna thank you for these things. I wanna pray that you would continue to provide for these things. Well, what happens is ungratefulness creeps in. Why? Because we're so fearful about what he's not going to provide for us tomorrow. So praying this prayer is what guards us against that. Because what we understand really is that we were never meant to be independent. That really just hits against our, our American individualism, doesn't it? Man, we're independent. Man, we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and I can take care of myself. I don't need any help. I'm not needy like those people over there. But independence was really part of the first lie in the garden. One of the things that the serpent was pitching Adam and Eve was independence from God. What does he say? What does he lead off with with Eve? He says, did God really say? The first thing he does is he calls Eve to look back into what God had provided and said, but he, but he hasn't. He hasn't really provided everything that you need, has he? Did he really say those things that he said to you for your good and for your provision? He called them to be ungrateful for what God had given them. And then later on in his conversation with Eve, he says, hey, if you eat of this fruit, you will become like God. Eat this, take this, take matters into your own hands, become independent because tomorrow you will receive what it is that you most desire. But the problem is we get a very different economy from God. Let's go to Matthew chapter six, if you wanna turn back to Matthew, and this is where we're gonna end. Matthew chapter six, just later on in the chapter, when Jesus is continuing this sermon that he's instructing his disciples with, and this is what he says, Matthew six, verse 25, he says, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, by the way, that's a command. That's not an optional thing. He didn't say, hey, you know what? You're gonna have some rough days, but if you can pull it off, don't be anxious about your life. He said, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour 
to his span of life. Oh, and by the way, why are you anxious about clothing? Let's cover that. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And then you get down to verse 34. He says, don't be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So God gives us this prayer actually to guard us against the things that are ever creeping into our life to produce an overfixation on tomorrow instead of being thankful for today and then an ungratefulness that is just literally like lurking at the doors of our hearts at all times. So by praying this prayer, by obeying Jesus and actually praying this, we can be guarded against those things. And then finally, it not only guards us against these things, it grows us in a few things. It grows us in gratefulness to God. When you're saying, give me this day my daily bread, you're immediately brought back to the ways that God has provided for you. And something gets produced in your heart when that happens, and it's called gratefulness. And not only gratefulness, but a dependence that we're so often blind to. Like, Lord, I need you for everything. Now, I know I have a job, and you've given me some talents. You've given me some abilities, And yeah, it's good stewardship to use those things that God has given to you. But what did I just say about those things? God gave them to you. So they're all part of the basic needs that God has given you in another way that he provides other basic needs that you need, right? So it grows us gratefulness, it grows dependence in us, and it grows this knowledge and sort of this vision of seeing our need for the true bread. Because God is taking care of our essential needs, he also takes care of our elemental needs. We see our need for true bread. Now look, if I took a poll, most of you would say that you never pray this part of the prayer. Most of you would say, no, I really don't pray, God, give me this day our daily bread, because most of you have a pantry and a fridge that are just stocked full. Or at least if it's like mine, you have like some almonds and oranges, and it's enough to get you through a couple days, Right? But like, there's no, there's no worry there. There's no anxiety there. I'm not trying to be glib. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say that there isn't anybody here in our congregation of which food isn't a worry. Don't hear me say that. And if that is something that's a worry for you, we want to hear from you so that we can help provide some of those basic needs in the way that we're talking about. All right, so hear me correctly right now. But for the majority of us, man, fridge is full, pantry is full. So then how do we make this tangible for us? How do we, Americans, who have typically full fridges and full pantries, how does it become something tangible for us? Well, I I think it's by giving what we have away. Because we have an abundance. And I think if we give our abundance and our overabundance to others, this is one of the ways that God makes this prayer real for us. Does that make sense? Also, in addition to that, this is how God might answer another person's prayer for their daily bread. When you relinquish the abundance of bread that God has given you. So here's my challenge for us as we close. What would happen if you prayed like this? I'm not saying just focus on verse 11. I'm saying the whole prayer. But for our purposes this morning, I'm talking specifically about verse 11. What would happen if you prayed like this? If every day you prayed for God to give you this day your daily 
bread. Because what happens when we go to God for our daily bread, the first thing that happens, the most important thing that's happening in that is that you're going to God. You're going to God and you're getting far more than physical bread every time you go to God to ask for physical bread. That's why God wants us to come to him to ask him for that daily bread. And by the way, this is a prayer that only a Christian would pray. This is only a prayer that somebody who's been saved by the blood of Christ would even pray because a Christian who's someone who knows and who sees and has a greater self-awareness of their neediness. Why? Because godliness is neediness. Why? Because Christ-likeness is neediness. A Christian is someone who is growing in the grace and the knowledge of the kind of bread that they actually need while trusting that God is going to provide the bread that they need to physically sustain themselves. God is a good God. Let's obey the words of Jesus here. Let's pray this prayer and see the kind of work that God might start to unfold in our hearts as we begin to trust him more, as we begin to have a greater sense of gratefulness for him, as our hands loosen over some of the abundance that he's given us to give to others. Let's see what God might do if we commit to praying this prayer. Are you with me? Let's pray.